0: All right, as we uh, settle in, I, I need to, uh, to-, to ask you guys a question as we get started. So maybe I'm the only one. I, I think this is going to help me. If nothing else, explain a little bit to my wife how I, I kind of work. But are-, are there any guys out there who uh, sometimes you-, you find your spouse talking to you or you find someone talking to you and all of a sudden you just go, wait, huh? Like, uh, I- sorry, I, w- I wasn't listening. I heard that you were making noise, but I, I don't understand what you said. Nobody else. All right. I'm the only one that does that. All right. Well, what we're going to be talking about this morning is the difference between hearing. A lot of us have the ability to hear and listening, hearing versus listening. So uh, as we settle in, I'm going to invite you guys to make your way to Luke chapter eight. We've been working our way through the book of Luke and and looking at the story of Jesus and and his different miracles and, and teachings and things that have been going on with Uh, his ministry. And so we're going to look at a story today uh, that Jesus is teaching us from Luke chapter 8 verses 1 through 15. So while you guys are finding your way there, I want to set the scene a little bit. I want to paint the picture in our minds so that we're all on the same page. So uh, in this story... Uh, people were coming out of the cities in droves. They were just they they were they were pouring out because by this point in Jesus's ministry, Jesus has developed a, a little bit of a reputation, a little bit of a following. People know that this is the guy that that heals people. This is the guy that 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 was performing all those miracles that we heard about in the town next door. And so, the the parallel story as Mark tells this story. Uh, in Mark chapter Four, he says that uh, he Jesus began to teach again by the sea, and a very large crowd gathered to him. so he got in the boat in the sea and sat down, and the whole crowd uh, was by the sea on the land. So what we have is jesus the the crowd crowded in around him, and so uh, as they continued to push in, he needed to be able to project and have everyone here. so this is probably one of the biggest crowds that has gathered around Jesus up to this point in his ministry. And so he goes out on a boat just a little bit. So he's a little bit off the shore and everyone gathers around on the shore. And so he's teaching and explaining the kingdom of God to this crowd. It was no doubt an impressive scene, but as we're going to see here in just a few moments, uh, Jesus wasn't impressed by this crowd that had gathered together. He wasn't enamored by the number of people that were there listening. And he points out the fact that, that sometimes just because people are listening, hearing doesn't mean that they're listening. So let's look at our entire passage today. We're going to look at Luke chapter 8, verses 1 all the way down through 15, and then we'll go back and dig into it a little bit. I'd invite you to follow along in your copy of God's Word. Starting in verse 1, it says, soon afterwards, he, Jesus, began going around from one city and village to another, proclaiming and preaching the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and sicknesses. Mary, who was called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, Joanna, the wife of Chuza, Herod's steward, and Susanna, and many others who were contributing to their support out of their private means. When a large crowd was coming together, those from the various cities were journeying to him. He spoke by way of a parable. He said, the sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell beside the road, and it was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air ate it up. Other seed fell on rocky soil, and as soon as it, up it withered away because it had no moisture other seed fell among the thorns and the thorns grew up with it and choked it out but other seed fell into the good soil and grew up and produced a crop a hundred times as great as he as he said these things he would call out he who has ears to hear let him hear his disciples began questioning to him as to what this parable meant and he said to you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of god But to the rest, it is in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. Those beside the road are those who have heard, then the devil comes and takes away the word from their heart, so that they will not believe and be saved. Those on the rocky soil are those who, when they hear, they receive the word with joy, and these have no firm root. They believe for a while, but in a time of temptation, they fall away. The seed which fell among the thorns, these are the ones who have heard, and as they go on their way, they are choked out with life's worries and riches and pleasures of this life and bring no fruit to maturity. But the seed in the good soil, these are the ones who have heard the word in an honest and good heart and hold it fast and bear fruit with perseverance. Let's pray together, church. God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you that that we can gather together and hear from you, that we can look at this story about the difference between just hearing and and truly listening to you as we look to your word. So God, we pray that as we gather together, as we open up this story, as we dig in and, and hear from you today, God, we pray that we would not just be hearers of the word, but that we would do it. God, we give this time to you and we pray that you would speak and that you would move in our hearts. And it's in Jesus's name we pray, amen. All right, well, the, the first few verses, verses 1 through 3, what we've got here is some good news because we've got a little bonus sermon. I don't know if anybody else ever goes through the drive-thru and you're grabbing all the food out of the bag, and then you reach down in the bottom and you find that like bonus fry, right? Everybody gets excited about the bonus fry. When I was growing up, we'd fight over the bonus fries because this one's yours and this one's yours, but who gets the ones in the bottom of the bag? Well, we've got a bonus fry today. So what we do when we preach through the word of God, we preach line upon line here, we, we go straight through a book. So we're going straight through the gospel of Luke right now. And as we do that, sometimes we get these little tiny side stories that are interjected in here. And so we're going to pause and give you guys like a five minute bonus story before we get into the main story. So verses one through three, it, it tells us this little snippet about how Jesus was going around and preaching the gospel. It summarizes Jesus' earthly ministry. And so it says that Jesus, as he was going around, he was preaching and telling the good news of the kingdom of God. That's what it says in verse 1. In other words, Jesus was telling people who he was. Jesus was telling people about the kingdom of God, about the good news of salvation, but he wasn't alone, right? In these verses, it says that the 12 were also with him, and that refers to the 12 men that Jesus had selected that were going to be the apostles, the 12 disciples. Those are familiar to us, but it also says that there were some women in verse 2. It says there were some women traveling with our Lord. Now, that may not stand out to us, but that was a surprising thing in that day and age to be written, to be included, to be a reality because Jesus was unlike every other rabbi in his day. By allowing women to come and to follow along and to be a part of his ministry, he was doing something that was was abnormal. Having women travel with him, having women disciples who were coming along and were following and were learning from him and were supporting his ministry, that was something that that most people, most rabbis, most teachers wouldn't have done in that day. I think it's important for us to pause here and just acknowledge and realize and thank ladies that are here this morning. I think it's safe for me to say that the Christian church would have never gotten off the ground if it wasn't for these women and for many other women like them throughout history who have played an important role in taking the gospel to the world. Countless churches around the world would have closed their doors years ago if it wasn't for the faithful service of women who have played critical roles in the church. Luke affirms these women by naming them directly for us. He mentions Mary Magdalene. He mentions, what was her name? I lost her. Joanna and Susanna. Chusa always comes to mind. It's Joanna, the wife of Chusa, and Susanna. Mary Joanna and Susanna. They rhyme. Look at that. All right, anyways, sorry. These women are mentioned here, and as these women are mentioned, Luke, naming them by name, these are special people that, that we can sit here thousands of years later and know who these women were, and we know that Jesus valued them by including them. Luke valued them by naming them, and if the Lord valued and included women in his ministry, I think it's important for us as a church, important for us as Christianity to realize that, that women are important in our church too. Women, thank you for what you guys do. We have an incredible women's ministry that, that, that plays an important role. If we look at our list of servants, people who play critical roles in our church, I'll tell you guys, there are more women on that list than there are men. Men, come on, let's step it up. But women, thank you guys so much for what you do. Men and women, the Bible talks about how men and women are created different. He created them male and female. They're different, but they also are special. Both of them different, but significant. Different, but important. And so in every way that women are called and gifted to serve in Scripture, we want to encourage that. We want to beg you guys. And encourage you to flourish in service in accord with God's word. So this, these first few verses, Luke chapter 8 verses 1 through 3, highlights three women. But it specially mentions that, that they ministered to Jesus and to the twelve disciples with their resources. What it means is that they were financially supporting. These women were financing the ministry so that Jesus didn't have to worry about all of those other details. In dealing with ministry and dealing with resources, dealing with finances, I've seen churches and Christianity kind of in general make two very opposite mistakes, and both of them are dangerous, and so I want to point those out as we are settling in this morning. First one is that throwing money at a problem is not what God calls us to. Simply financing something is not what God calls us to. I've seen organizations lose effectiveness because they developed this attitude of, we're going to focus so much on the programs. We're going to focus so much on the building. We're just going to pay someone else to go do it. We'll, we'll pay someone else to go tell the rest of the world about Jesus. I don't want to do that. I, I'm, I'm comfortable here in my spot, and I don't want to go, and, and I don't want to do what God told me to, so I'll just pay someone else to do it. Well, that's dangerous. That that may sound good, but but I'm here to tell you guys this morning, throwing money at a problem is not everything that God calls you to. God has work for me to do. God has work for each one of us to do. The Bible talks about how we we are a body. We are a, a living organism, and everyone has a role to play. And so God has work for you to do. God has people in your life that, that only you may interact with. I, I don't have an opportunity to interact with all your co-workers. I don't have the opportunity to, to take the message of Jesus to the people that live across the street from you. You do. God has work for you to do. But the opposite error that, that we may find ourselves making sometimes with finances is to, to argue that resources don't matter, to pretend like money never plays a role and that God doesn't talk about money, and we're just going to stick that in the closet and leave it there because it makes people uncomfortable. But the reality is that that God talks a lot about money in Scripture. And the reason why he talks a lot about money in Scripture is because I've heard it said years ago, show me your checkbook, if you guys remember what those were. Show me your checkbook and show me your day planner, and I'll tell you what's important in your life. Things that we spend our money on and the things that we spend our time on, they, they show us what's important. And so God knows that that where our finances are, where our time is, that's, that's where our heart is. And so God wants our heart. Scripture is clear that, that generosity, that financial support is a part of being a Christian. It's a part of ministry. We see it in these verses here. We see it in Luke chapter 21 as Jesus points out to the disciples, uh, a poor woman who has come and given everything she had, just two widow's mites talks about giving generously. 1 Corinthians 16 talks about the importance of their financial support as people were giving to support Paul and his ministry. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9 are an incredible place for you to go and, and just read a little bit about what God has to say about how we handle our finances. And 1 and Timothy 6 also talks about there's, there's place after place after place. We could spend a whole sermon here, but this one's just a little bonus sermon but i want to read for you guys two different places from that passage in second corinthians first second corinthians chapter 8 verses 3 and 4 paul talking about finances says for i testify according to their ability and beyond their ability they gave of their own accord begging us with much urging for the favor of participation in the support of the saints What he's saying there is is people, there was no set cost. There's no cover charge to get into church. There's no set fee. You don't have a ticket price to pay. But what people do when they give is they give as they're able to. Not only do they give as they're able to, but they give generously. It says that they gave not only according to their ability, but beyond their ability. Do I need to be doing anything different? It's just being weird. Okay. All right. The second passage that we see here from 2 Corinthians, I want to read for you guys, 2 Corinthians 9, verses 6 and 7. It says, Now this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Here's another verse that's important for us. It says, Each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly, not under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. We see in these verses we should give generously, generously, God cares about what we do with our money but but we should do it as we've purposed in our heart we should give cheerfully there's 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 not going to be any arm twisting here today there's not going to be any place in this church now or ever where coercion and and we need your money is going to be a part of the conversation. God wants your money but not because he needs your money not not because he has these great plans but but he can't figure out how to do them without you and without your finances and without your checkbook. God has all the reasons. We're talking about a God who spoke and stuff showed up, who spoke and creation appeared. God doesn't need our money. He wants our money, but not because he needs the money, because he wants our heart that's attached to it. These women played an important role. One of the reasons that Jesus and the 12 disciples were so effective was because they had generous support from women like Mary, women like Joanna, women like Susanna. They financially stood behind Jesus and the 12 and their ministry as it was effective. All right, end of bonus sermon. Let's get into the main story now. I want to read for you guys uh, verses 4 through 8, and then we're going to read verses 11 through 15. So as we go to those in just a second, Jesus, he was concerned about this big crowd that had showed up. I, I pointed out to you guys that there was this big crowd standing on the shore and, and Jesus is standing there, sitting there on the boat, teaching to them. And he knows at this point that, that as he looks around, these are not all people who are committed to following him wherever he wants to lead. A lot of these people are people who have come out to sample the message. They're they're curious, they're curious about this guy. What's up with this Jesus guy? We've heard that he's doing, he's doing stuff. He's out performing miracles. He's, he's been healing people and, and raising the dead. And I want to go see what's up with this guy. I want to see the show. Jesus knows that many had not come to, to hear his word, but to sample it. And they had no spiritual interest whatsoever. So Jesus delivers this story, this parable in these verses. Let's read the verses again so the story is fresh in our mind. It says in verse 4, When a large crowd was coming together and those from the various cities were journeying to him, he spoke by way of a parable. The sower went out to sow his seed. As he sowed, some fell beside the road. It was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air ate it up. Other seed fell on rocky soil. As soon as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it out. And other seed fell into good soil and grew up, produced a crop a hundred times as great. And he said these things. As he said these things, he would call out, "As He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Skip down now to to verse 11. He explains the parable. He says, Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. Those beside the road are those who have heard, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their heart, so they will not believe and be saved. Verse 13, Those on the rocky soil are those who, when they hear, they receive the word with joy, and these have no firm root. They believe for a while, and in the time of temptation, they fall away. The seed which fell among the thorns, these are the ones who have heard, and as they go on their way, they are choked with worries and riches and pleasures of this life, and they bring no fruit to maturity. But the seed and the good soil, these are the ones who have heard the word in an honest and good heart, and hold it fast and bear fruit with perseverance. As Jesus was explaining this story, he explains to us that, that, that the seed that he's talking about is hearing the word of God. Hearing the good news of the gospel, hearing the word of God, hearing the Bible that you're sitting there holding in your hand or you have saved on your device, that is the most important thing to coming to faith. We can't assume that people will somehow find God by by looking up at the stars. No, Jesus is a person, and in order to believe in Jesus, in order to hear the good news of the gospel, they need to hear that name of Jesus. They need to hear the message that, that even though we are sinful, even though I am sinful and you are sinful, God made a way for us to be forgiven. Not by just overlooking the offense, but but by reaching into humanity, by sending his son Jesus to come to live perfectly, to earn God's favor, and then to die on a cross to pay my punishment and to pay your my, your punishment so that so that we could be forgiven, so that we could be set free. That Hearing that message of the gospel, that is the gospel in a nutshell. Hearing that message is mission critical to people coming to saving faith. But just hearing that truth is not the only thing that is required of people, right? See, We can't just hear the truth. We actually have to receive the truth. And so that's what Jesus is talking about here. He's talking about these different soils. The focus of this story is on the four different types of soil, the four different types of hearts that people have inside of them that that receive this message. It's all a matter of the soil. We can't just hear the truth. We have to receive it. It has to take root in our lives. So he talks about four soils. The first soil that that Jesus talks about in verse twelve is is the soil of a hard heart. Farmers in ancient Palestine during this time they, their their fields were divided up by these paths that would go through them that would wind through the field and, and these paths would become. Beaten and trampled, and, and and so hard they would become like pavement as people walked on them, as animals walked on them, as 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 wagons and wheels and tools and all these different things. Carts were 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 carried around on these paths. They would just become like pavement. And so, as a sower, as a farmer was going out and was tossing seed, if if the seed fell on that hard soil, it it didn't really have any opportunity to grow, right? These seeds would bounce off the path, would be swept back and forth, and would have no chance of taking root. These hard beaten paths are, are emblematic of some people who, who hear God's word. This is the first type of person that, that Jesus talks about, and the incessant traffic of life, the, the thing after thing after thing of life have so hardened their hearts that, that nothing that they hear from God's word or from Jesus can have any impact in their life. Nothing that they hear of God's word, God's truth, stirs in them at all. What this looks like is life for a lot of people is no more than a sports page. It's no more than a fishing pole, a hobby, a, a, a movie, the newest movie that's come out, or the newest magazine, the newest book, the newest song, whatever it may be. Life is nothing more than, than just the things. The busyness of life has hardened us. There may be no major sin, but but there's not really any interest in God or in His Word either. They, they're hard. The way that this life is needing change, the way that this hard soil can become good soil is by being broken up, is by being turned up. If we were going to take a hard piece of ground and wanted to plant a garden, the first thing that you have to do is get a a tiller and, and tear up the soil and break up the soil so that, that that hard packed ground can become soft, good soil that seeds can grow in. See, that's that's what God has to do sometimes in these hard hearts. Many of us who are here today have had different seasons in our life. It, it, it may be that some of you have even come to faith in this moment of of a hard heart being broken up. Sometimes there are things, there has to be pain, there has to be stress, there has to be trial in life where, where the hard ground, where the, where the comfortable, I've got enough other stuff going on, has to be broken so that God's word can come in and that, that we can receive God's word. This is how grace came to many of us. And this is the first type of soil that Jesus talks about. The second person, the second soil that he talks about here in this parable is, is those with shallow hearts talks about those with shallow hearts. He talks about the rocky soil, and, and the soil, when the seed falls on it, it, it sprouts up quickly, but then it dies because there's no root. He says they they believe for a little while, but in a time of testing, they fall away. That's what he says in verse 13. In Palestine, the, the, the land that Jesus was probably walking around on and, and talking about It's a land that is often just a thin two or three inches. It's a a veneer of soil, and then underneath of that two or three inches of soil, there's just hard limestone bedrock. There's nothing getting underneath of those first two or three inches because there's just a sheet of rock underneath of there. When seed would fall on this soil, you couldn't necessarily see it at first glance walking across the top of the soil. But as the seed falls here it would sprout up quickly because as the sun hits it the sun's going to warm up that soil really quickly it's going to it's going to take root and it's going to grow really quickly but but as the sun continues to beat on it and beat on it and beat on it there's no root there's no ability to withstand uh, withstand the heat helmet philiki he was a German pastor who lived in the, the mid-1900s. He, he comments about this dangerous fate that, that some people who receive the Word of God find themselves in. I want to read for you guys. It's, it's a little bit of a long quote, but I think it, it, it communicates this really well. He said, There is nothing more cheering than transformed Christian people. There is nothing more disintegrating than people who have been merely brushed by Christianity. People who have been sown with a thousand seeds, but in whose lives there is no depth and no root. Therefore, they fall when the first whirlwind comes along. It is the half-Christians who always flop in the face of the first catastrophe that happens because their dry intellectuality and their superficial emotionalism do not stand the test. So even that which they think they have is taken away from them. This is the wood from which the anti-Christians, too, are cut they're almost always former half Christians a person who lets Jesus only halfway into his heart is far poorer than a 100% worldling as Thalicki uh, described here in this quote these half Christians they have an emotional response they they hear the word of god they receive the word of god a lot of the time they hear it and they go and they just they they get so excited god that's, that that sounds great i want to do that god here uh, and they start running around and doing all this stuff, and then life gets difficult, right? Anybody who's, who's been alive for more than just a few years knows that, that life is going to get difficult at some point. Life will be hard. I hate to break the news to you. Spoiler alert. I don't know if you guys all know, but life will be hard at some point. These people who have had an emotional response, these, these half-Christians, as Thalicki described them, They're excited. They they grow up quickly. They have this temporary growth in their life, but but when the hard time comes, their faith shrivels up. We look at these people as, as Jesus describes this soil. We can tell there's no real life. There's no real root there, and as there was no real life, their soul still needs to come to Christ. The way that Jesus talks about Disciples. That, that word disciple inherently holds this idea that someone who is following, faithfully following, wanting to be like the master. When Jesus calls us to be disciples, he wants people who are all in. The third soil, the, the, the third person that Jesus talks about here is, is an infested heart. An infested heart. In verse 14, he, he talks about where the seed grows up alongside of the thorns. And so as these thorns grow up. The thorns represent life's worries and life's riches and life's pleasures. This is a divided heart. This is a heart that that, that as Jesus talks about it, it is grown up, it is infested by irreconcilable loyalties, irreconcilable habits, things that, that have no place in a believer's life. This heart makes steps towards Christ. It makes gestures towards Christ, but, but ultimately, as this verse says, life's worries, life's riches, life's pleasures draw it back. It leaves no room for authentic spiritual growth in this person's life. The comment practically that is made by someone who's, who's in this soil is, well, I really like Jesus. I really like what God has to say. I, I like that message of being forgiven, but I really like all of this stuff over here too. God, I, I'll take a few steps towards you, but but I like this sin too much to be all in. This is a lost heart. This is someone who, as Jesus talks about in this parable, that the, the thorns grow up and choke it out. There's, there's no real fruit there. There's no real life there. There's no healthy faith there. As Jesus explained in the Sermon on the Mount that we looked at a month or two ago, in, in Matthew chapter 6, Verse 24, Jesus talking about this idea says that no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. Jesus giving an example of this says, you cannot serve both God and money. Kind of ties back to our first mini-sermon, right? We cannot be a divided heart with, with, with some of our attention on what God wants from us and then reaching back time and time again to other stuff. God, I love you, but. God, I love you, but. What about this? Has no place in a Christian's heart. That doesn't mean we're, we're perfect, but it means we have to want to, to move forward. We have to want to let go of those things. The fourth person that Jesus talks about in this story, the fourth soil that is described here is the good heart, is the healthy heart. The seed of God's word does not bounce off of the hard heart here. Neither does it temporarily grow up and flourish and then die out when difficulty comes in the shallow soil of emotion, nor is it divided by competing desires. This soil, the fourth soil that Jesus talks about here, is a heart that allows God's word to take deep root in it, to 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 be all in. It produces the fruit of good character. As seeds grow and, and they mature, they grow up and, and and the green stuff is great, but we don't want the green stuff, we want the fruit, right? We want the end result of this fruit tree growing. And so Galatians chapter five talks about the fruit of good character that should be developed in the life of a believer. Galatians chapter five says that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Fruit is never a matter of overnight exercise. It's never just a matter of, of temporary hurry up and grow so that we get to the fruit. It takes nurturing. It takes time. Jesus' teaching here in this story does not look at the reaction of a person's heart to God's word in a single moment. Many of these soils that are talked about here, three of them they they all look good in the first few moments, right? In the first few weeks we we see green, we we see growth pop up in three of the four soils. Something's happening. Who but a true reaction, a faithful reaction to God's Word is something that doesn't happen in a single moment but happens over a period of time. That's why this planting analogy is used. It takes time for the healthy plant to, to grow and to bear fruit. It takes time for the weeds to grow up and choke it out. It takes time for the shallow roots that, that aren't really healthy to, to reveal themselves and for the lack of root to become evident in a plant. What Jesus is pointing out here is, Jesus' point deals with the fact that that our response to the Word of God is not a temporary reaction. It's not an emotional response. It is a process that God works in us day after day after day, week after week, year after year. God continues to work in those who have given their lives to Him. Sometimes we have moments, we have seasons. I When I used to work with with teenagers at my last church, we would see these like exciting moments of, we went to camp or we went to this retreat and everybody got all pumped up about Jesus and I'm all in. And then they come back home and it's like two weeks later because that emotional response wasn't truly what had taken root in their heart. Faithful, true growth of a Christian is day after day after day faithfulness. We may have those big jumps at times, but but more often than not the way that we get to a mature end result is not taking the big jumps. It's faithfully waking up in the morning and reading God's word. It's faithfully coming to him throughout your day and saying, "God, I need you." It's faithfully making those little decisions day in and day out, taking the little steps forward. This process of growth that Jesus talks about is just that. It's a process. We get now to, to this third section that I saw in, in, in this passage, and it's, it's buried right in the middle, but it's so critically important for us. Verses 8, 9, and 10 in our passage, they talk about this idea of hearing versus truly listening. In this small section, we have one of the statements of Jesus that it's, it, it's described by some as one of the hard sayings of Jesus. It's one of those things that, that we look at, that we hear, that we go, ooh, that, that sounds strange. That doesn't make a lot of sense. What in the world is Jesus talking about here? It's hard for us to hear. Let's read these verses and then dig in a little bit. In verse 8, Jesus said that other seed fell into the good soil and grew up and produced a crop a hundred times as great. And here, as, as he said these things, he would call out, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. His disciples began questioning him as to what this parable meant. And he said, to you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God. But to the rest, it is in parables. So that, and, and, and you see, if you've got uh, a copy of the Bible in front of you, you see that those words look different, right? Those, those words are written in all caps. It says, so that seeing they may not see and hearing that they may not understand. When they put it in all caps like that, it means that it's a quote back to something from a different place in the Bible. It's, Jesus is quoting the Old Testament there. As Jesus is saying this, is explaining this to the disciples and to the crowd, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. What in the world is Jesus talking about? Jesus is, is standing there teaching and explaining to people, most of them, I, I don't know this for sure, but most of them probably had ears. Most of them were probably able to, to, to hear, receive the sound waves, and, and, and translate them to sounds in their brain. The issue wasn't with hearing. But like we talked about at the very beginning of this, just because we're hearing something doesn't mean that we're listening, right? Just because you, 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 you receive the sound waves doesn't mean that you're listening. Isaiah chapter 6 sheds some light on this because Jesus' words, those, those cap words that Jesus was referencing back, he's pointing back to Isaiah chapter 6. In Isaiah chapter 6, the first eight verses, we see this incredible picture of God revealing himself, of giving a vision of himself to Isaiah. And as he is revealing this incredible picture of, Isaiah, this is who I am, Isaiah responds in humility and he responds in, God, whatever it is that you need from me, here I am, send me. That's that's Isaiah's words from verse 8. Here I am, send me. And then, in the couple verses following that. It's followed by the weirdest, oddest commission that that I know of in scripture that was ever given to a prophet. Isaiah is told to change to, to, to charge the people not to understand, to make their hearts hard. Isaiah chapter six, verses nine and ten. I want to read for you guys. It says, He said, Go and tell this people keep on listening but do not perceive, keep on looking, but do not understand render the hearts of the people insensitive, their ears dull, their eyes dim. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and return and be healed. So how in the world did Isaiah receive this weird commission, this strange commission that God had given to him, and successfully harden the hearts and confuse the people? How did he reveal the truth to them, but they didn't receive it? Well, I can tell you guys, it certainly was not by preaching with obscure expressions and and confusing logic. On the contrary, Isaiah's preaching was actually described in Isaiah 28 as plain and systematic and reasoned. People were complaining in Isaiah 28 about how his teaching was too simple. In Isaiah 28 verse 9, people complaining said, Who is he trying to teach? To whom is he explaining his message? to children just weaned from their milk, to those that were just taken from the breast. What Isaiah is people are complaining, what? It's so simple. This is, this is too easy. Isaiah, you're, you're talking to us like we're just little kids. Stop talking to us like we're little kids. People said, Isaiah, you're making this too simple. Isaiah fulfilled his commission to to blind and to harden the people's hearts by preaching the truth as simply and clearly as he possibly could. So really, it wasn't Isaiah's preaching of the word that hardened their hearts. So what was it? It was the repeated rejections time and time and time again of of hearing the truth and rejecting it, of hearing the truth and rejecting it, that created an increased hardness of heart. Here's what Jesus was saying, and he was saying it to a crowd of people that that, that many of them, he looked around and he saw these religious people, right? We keep seeing these Pharisees, these religious leaders pop up at the story where they were standing off on the side with their arms crossed, trying to figure out how they were going to catch Jesus, how they were going to corner Jesus and, and trap him somehow. Here's what Jesus is saying to those religious leaders that were standing in the crowd, surely listening and so many people, especially the religious leaders, they had heard straightforward teaching from Jesus and they rejected it time and time and time again. Ultimately, the truth that they were receiving was going to be taken from them. Eventually, those who receive the truth time and time and time again and act on it, well, they continue to receive more and more. As we receive God's truth and we act on it and we obey it, it creates a thirst in us for more truth. It creates this cycle in our lives that that is this beautiful paradox cycle. That when, we, when we're when we hungry for God and he gives us more of himself, it makes us more hungry and we come back to him wanting more again and, and it gives us more hunger and we we continue to, 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 to chase after him and to grow in this. And God, give me more. God, give me more. God, give me more. It creates this incredible cycle in our lives. But for those who reject the truth, ultimately the truth that they have, the the little bit that they may have is going to be taken from them. Their hearts are going to become like that first soil that is hard, that that has so rejected and rejected and rejected the truth that ultimately they will one day become unable to hear it anymore. This principle has parallels. Maybe that's difficult for us to see, for us to receive. But but maybe other parallels in life will make more sense of this. If you have a muscle in your body that you just refuse to use for an extended period of time, maybe you stay in bed and you don't get up and walk around. Those those leg muscles that you're no longer using, what happens to them? They get weaker. They get weaker. They get weaker. Eventually, you lose the use of those muscles as they sit there with no use if we fail to use our intellectual powers, there will come a day when we go to reach for them that, that they won't be there. They won't be able to be summoned to the same capacity if, if we just let our brains sit and turn to mush. We won't be able to summon their full powers when we need them. The principle of hearing God's word, the principle that Jesus is pointing to here is, is the same as those other illustrations with our mind, with our muscles. What he's saying is, as you receive the word of God, use it or lose it. Do it or lose it. A heart of good soil provides the only antidote to the world. It provides the only antidote to the flesh, to the devil, as is described in this parable. Verse 15 described that type of heart. That when we receive the word of God, when when the word of God lands in, in, in a good heart, in good soil, we receive the word of God for what it truly is. The word of God. If God was the one standing up here talking to us today, we'd take it seriously, right? All right, God showed up. We should probably sit quietly and listen and and do everything that he says exactly as he tells us to, right? Probably gets a different response in us than, oh, yeah, I know I should read my Bible, but I got stuff going on today. No, when, when God says do this, we do it because it's the words of God. We don't receive it and then justify ourselves with it. We don't receive it and then cut out the difficult parts. We don't pick and choose the parts that sound good to us. What we do is we receive it all with a good heart and we obey. We're going to finish with with, with a, a final verse from the book of James that is just perfect for this. James chapter 1. I don't have to explain this. I'm just going to read it for you guys. It, it says it, and it says it perfectly clearly. James 1.22 Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Do not merely listen to the word. Don't just hear it. Receive the word and do what it says.